Well, hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I'm Jesse Bayer, as always, joined by my business partner, Darnell Dunn. We're the co-founders and managing partners of Abundant Living Ecuador. Thought we'd try a little music today. Well, hopefully that shows up on the recording and then what I'm saying will make sense versus the music at the beginning of the show. But I uh, hope everybody out there is doing great. We um, are super excited today for a what we think is an awesome guest, um, and we'll introduce him and get to him in a minute. Um, we're going to just go ahead and run through a couple of business items, a couple of uh, current events. We haven't done a show in a while. Um, I was traveling, and uh, we've been super busy. Got back from the States a couple of weeks ago, um, see some family and friends, so that was nice. Um, and um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a whole lot to talk about and a great guest, so... Without further ado, um, you know, one thing that's certainly taken place since last time we talked to you guys is a lot of new properties. Um, so we've got a ton of new properties that have come online. Um, you know, some are on the site, uh, some are actually not on the site, um, and that's due to uh, the, the way in which um, we ha happen to be working with that particular client um, to sell their property. So give us a call. Um, you, can, you can, of course, reach us at, uh, on our website at abequador.com. That's A as in Apple, B as in boy, Ecuador.com. Of course, on our 800 number, that's 888-999-0948, and via email at info at abequador.com. Um, so yeah, many new properties. We also have officially launched our buyer's um, agent uh, service. So if there's a property, if you're, you know, if you're that guy that needs, you know, you've got a list of 12 things that are just absolutely have to be on that property and, and we don't, you know, the characteristics of the property and we don't have a property like that listed, um, we are now officially have launched a buyer's agent service um, where we can actually go out and through our, you know, very deep network of connections of, uh, properties that are on the market, we can, we can find, um, that property, uh, specifically for you. Um, so we, so yeah, if you're looking for, uh, properties in Ecuador, give us a call. There's, there's a lot of new, uh, pretty sweet ones, some nice fincas that, that I know you and I liked, Darnell. Um, I wanted to go ahead and just shout out Brian Haynes of Gringos Abroad, who published, um, an article of ours or a blog of ours, um, on his website, Gringos Abroad. I encourage everybody to check that out. Um, our next group tour starts January 4th. Um, we're really excited about that. Um, you can get all that information at A-B-E-C, that's A as in Apple, B as in Boyd, E as in Edward, C as in Cat, tour, abectour.com. Um, you know, I really, I really think this is an amazing tour. Um, I really think it offers more value than any other tour that's out there. Most tours... Um, and a lot of them are great. In fact, we work with a couple of uh, tour operators here in Ecuador. But most tours, um, you're not getting anything beyond seeing the country. And obviously, that's a really important component of the tour, and, and we do that as well. Um, but, you know, our idea, our idea with the tour has been to give you a sense of the country, but also give you a sense of the real estate market. And then I think perhaps most importantly... Um, you get you get presentations on basically everything that you could um, need that everything that you need to know um, before making a decision to to either move or not move to Ecuador. So included in your tour is presentations on purchasing property in Ecuador and all of the details. You know, I can't get into all of it right now, but all of the details that go into that um, construction in Ecuador, the visa process. Uh, business in Ecuador, investing in Ecuador, um, including, you know, th that gets very detailed, a lot of that stuff. 
um, banking in Ecuador, um, getting your things here, shipping, housing, cell phones, the, you know, the whole nine, healthcare. Um, so you get, you get a really complete package. So you get to see the country, you get a sense of the real estate market, you get to see what expats are up to in areas that you might be interested in. Obviously you get all the normal stuff like food and culture, um, but you also go home really well informed um, about all the processes um, of, of sort of moving to and, and doing business and or just living life uh, in Ecuador. So you can sign up for that at uh, abectour.com. Again, January 4th is the next group tour and um, individual tours are available uh, anytime. Yeah, we actually have a, a couple people who've uh, reached out to us to schedule individual tours. So we're happy to tailor that to your specific needs. Um, we can you know, have a consultation to talk about you know, what areas you want to focus in on if you, know, you have some specific areas in mind. Uh, we're happy to, to, um, to do that for you. Yeah. And then um, also keep an eye out for some new products. Um, we just finished putting together a like A to Z relocation guide for Ecuador that we're going to go ahead and just um, make a standalone product. It'll probably come, uh, we're still kicking around this idea, but it'll probably come with like an hour of consultation as well. Um, and it'll, it won't be expensive. We're, we're probably looking at 50, 100 bucks, 150 maximum, um, you know, to get that uh, A to Z relocation guide plus, plus um, con an hour of consultation. Um, so that's the business. Um, we wanted to jump in very briefly to a couple of uh, current events and just get you guys caught up on a, you know, we can't cover everything. There's really a lot has happened um, both in Ecuador and globally um, since the last time we talked to you guys. But we just want to get you caught up on a couple of things going on on the Ecuador front. Um, so Darnell, let me go ahead and just hand that off to you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the first thing um, is uh, on the economic front here in Ecuador, uh, recent article from Reuters highlights that uh, Q2, um, Q2 GDP shrank by 2.2% in Ecuador, mainly based on non-oil exports. As, um, as many of you know, Ecuador's economy is dollarized, so the dollar is used for all transactions here. And, um, you know, as the dollar is risen against uh, some of the neighboring countries here in around in Ecuador, like Colombia and Peru, um, that's hurt Ecuador's main exports, which has been bananas, cacao, flowers, and tuna. Um, but the central bank still is projecting that uh, the economy will grow slightly this year. Uh, we'll, re it remains to be seen whether they'll augment that uh, going forward. Uh, and the IMF has has a negative prediction for this year. Right. It was net, I think it was maybe like close to four and a half percent or something. Yeah, I think they revised it down. I'd have to double check, but yeah, I think they might have revised it down a little bit actually um, to, to a better number, but it's still negative for the IMF, but I didn't even realize. So the central bank is still saying positive. Still saying year. positive. Yeah. Okay. They'll, they'll change that like on December 31st or <laughs> right. something like that. Right. So we have that. And also the other big main event that's been going on is just the elections. Um, obviously, the elections are coming up in the States very soon less than a month uh, in Ecuador, the uh, election will take place in February and the uh, presidential, the current president, Rafael Correa, his um, former vice president, uh, Lenin Moreno has been elected or selected, selected. by the, um, by the party to represent them. Uh, he was the vice president from 07 to 2013 and most recently has been the UN special envoy on disability and accessibility. I, they must have a uh, 
uh, a branch for everything, huh? <laughs> I didn't even know that existed. I'm, I'm before. trying not to snicker. You're not helping. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my job. I have to, you know, it's like the, uh, it's like the, um, you know, when you have one of these kinds of shows, you need to have the good cop, bad cop. Right? <laughs> right. What else? What else you got? Uh, so that's going on. Also, um, an interesting article from Cuenca High Life that came up just talking about and framing the different issues that will be um, things that the presidential candidates talk about. And mainly it circles around taxes, regula regulations, and government spending. Um, so you've got three main, main candidates now. You have uh, uh, Cynthia Vitari, who's been um, really supported by the popular mayor of Guayaquil, uh, Jaime Nabot. Nabot, yeah. Nabot. So you have him, you have Guillermo Lasso, who... Uh, who was the um, runner-up in the last election, and then you have, obviously, the current um, administration's candidate. So we'll all see how that shakes out. Um, and lastly, um, and I actually should have mentioned this before, uh, another interesting article about how President Correa will not be the president. He won't return for his fourth term. Recently, the um, term limits have been abolished, and he was on the fence about whether he would run or not. They were, um, they had a, what do you call that? A, um, they had a, a petition going to get him to, to be able to run, but then he just decided Did they have, not did to. they have draft Rafael .com? <laughs> <laughs> They might have, if they didn't, I didn't hear about it. So <laughs> that's how the, uh, that's how the uh, presidential election is shaping up, and it remains to be seen uh, how it'll shake up. But very interesting stuff for the country um, will have a lot to do with how, um, you know, affect everything, the economy, real estate, um, and I think also people who are thinking about coming to live here. So uh, stay tuned for that. So, yeah, great. So that covers uh, the current events. Um, let me go ahead and introduce our guests. So we are excited and um, feel very uh, lucky to be joined today by Nicholas Crowder. Um, Nicholas, I'm going to mostly let you introduce yourself, but let me just mention um, Nicholas is an author. He's written um, several books, including several books on Ecuador. Uh, some of the more popular ones are 100 Points to Consider Before Moving or Retiring in Ecuador. Another, and I believe this was your first book, is uh, Culture Shock, A Guide to uh, Customs and Etiquette, Ecuador. Um, and Nicholas currently or, or has spent uh, 24 years as a Spanish-speaking probation officer um, in the States handling investigations, amongst other things. Um, Nicholas stays uh, very well connected uh, to Ecuador, both through his wife, who's Ecuadorian, and through uh, the two or three trips a year um, that Nicholas and his wife um, still take to visit Ecuador. Um, Nicholas runs a uh, website. Um, the name of the website is Latin America Current News and Events. You can uh, find that at latinamericacurrentevents.com. Um, and Nicholas is uh, very uh, knowledgeable on all things Ecuador and also very interested in expat life and, um, you know, to such a d degree that has, uh, you know, authored books on, on the subject. 
Um, so we're really excited to have uh, Nicholas here today. Um, Nicholas, why don't you um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, whatever I left out, which I'm sure is a lot. And um, if you wanted to augment um, any of the current event stuff, I know you run a website that deals with current events all over uh, Latin America. So I'm sure you, you've got your thoughts there as well. And then uh, we'll get to some of the other stuff. Well, thank you, Jesse and uh, Darnell. And I, I first want to congratulate you both on a uh, fine business model that you have that I, I think is uh, uh, paramount and necessary to many of those that are thinking of moving to Ecuador. Um, as you've learned over your uh, last three years of experience, it's a very complicated country. And in uh, a wonderful country, uh, but it is different than uh, the U.S. or Canada uh, or and Europe. And it's uh, I think you're running a fine service of uh, both the the tours of uh, the real estate tours and the relocation services. I think are uh, really help uh, someone address the many of the obstacles and challenges. Uh, that you have uh, when moving to Ecuador. I wish you'd been around when I first moved there in '83. Uh, I might have stayed for good. Well, your um, your hundred dollars for that promotion is in the mail. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, jokes, uh, jokes aside. Okay. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Right, and I, I appreciate that uh, the introduction. And uh, I am a huge fan, and always have been for ever since I was a young boy. At age 12, uh, when my parents had bought me a General Electric shortwave radio for Christmas, and uh, I plugged that thing in, and uh, the first broadcast I heard was Radio HC de Ota, uh, Bos de Andes from uh, Quito, Ecuador. And I just had this uh, vision in my mind of uh, little hamlets up in the Andes and had a real, real uh, attraction at that point. And, uh, and through the years, uh, uh, studying Spanish and then uh, having a professor from uh, Ecuador, from Loja, uh, was one of my first professors from, uh, in, at, uh, in graduate school, uh, and uh, also had a chance meeting with an Ecuadorian um, one day, uh, working in a department store in Phoenix, Arizona. He had lost his passport. And uh, I didn't speak Spanish very well then, and I don't either today, but I really didn't have much uh, knowledge at that point. But he had lost his passport in the store, and we attempted to help him find it. And he was a very uh, short, stout fellow, well-dressed, and he had this beautiful wife. And uh, they were from Ecuador. And he was from the uh, Banana family, uh, the Nodos uh uh, the boys uh, from Guayaquil, and um, uh, I always promised myself someday I would uh, meet a beautiful Ecuadorian princess, uh, which I, I subsequently did, and um, uh, and I noticed the the difference uh, between him physically and my uh, professor Lojano and Doctor Valdivieso, and that was my first instruction in uh, the regionalism that exists in the country. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, we can talk about any topic that you like, but uh, I just have a real 
connection with Ecuador and a half for years, and we'll probably go into how I ended up there, and then uh, subsequently left, and then had this connection for years, and uh, uh, there weren't a lot of books available. Uh, when I moved there, I think Lonely Planet, and the, uh, there was another book on South America, and there was very little information uh, about uh, the culture. And um, I'm telling you, when you go down there and you don't have an idea of how Ecuadorians think or where they're coming from and the regionalism that exists, mm -hmm. the stark differences between people from the Sierra and people from the Costa, yep. it's, uh, I just you know, felt like it was one of my missions in life to, uh, to share those. And it's a, a topic that uh, Ecuador is a topic that we could live another 30 years and we won't know everything. And it's just amazing in a country uh, the size of Colorado that there are so many differences. You know, Nicholas, I think that's a great place to start. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about how you ended up making it here at Ecuador in the first place? Well, um, I had attended a graduate school in uh, Glendale, Arizona called uh, the American Graduate School of uh, International Management. And uh, I was running out of money, and I got a job offer to go to the Middle East and to for, with a small export company and with the idea that I would be an American sales manager. And uh, they had done no business in Latin America previous to that. They'd primarily been in the Middle East. And so um, I worked for them. They were primarily uh, automotive and industrial parts. And uh, I was in my early uh, 20s and got to make my first trip, uh, first to the Middle East, but then uh, spent months in Latin America, and I just loved it. Started in Mexico, worked all the way down uh, to Columbus, and uh, one night I had a midnight flight. My next stop was Quito, Ecuador, and that was my first uh, visit uh, to Ecuador. I arrived in the close to 10, 11 p.m. at night. I got to see at the old uh, uh, Quito Hotel, which is up on the uh, uh, mountain, and it's it just recently sold. It had been... Uh, or recently been owned by the government for a number of years. And uh, I was having dinner up on the top of the restaurant, and the fog just ruled in. And it just uh, grasped me the same way that I, when I first uh, heard about Radio Ochoa Bejota on the uh, shortwave radio. And, uh, you know, uh, started to do business. And uh, Ecuador at that time, uh, that was the early 80s, was really going through a terrific growth spurt, uh, primarily uh, because of uh, oil. And uh, consumerism was on fire. Uh, imports were on fire. Lots of new businesses being opened. I mean, almost anybody uh, with any type of capital you could see opening businesses or uh, importing. And, um, of course, I, being single at that time, spent a lot of time uh, out at the theater. Um, I should cough when I say that, but I spent a lot of time <laughs> out at the bars and, uh, uh, you know, just had a really good time. And uh, I thought the women were beautiful. Uh, and I remember asking a taxi cab driver, I said, you know, uh, 
you know, I think the women here are beautiful, but I was, you know, thought that they would look uh, different. And he'd ask me, he said, have you ever been, have you ever been to Guayaquil? And I said, no. And he told me, tranquilo, senor, tranquilo. Uh, when, when you go to Ecuador or Guayaquil, uh, you're going to see a difference. And again, the regionalism. Yep. And I arrived at Guayaquil the next day, and on the first day met my wife of 35 years. And, wow. uh, uh, and we, you know, and I kept doing business, and I was selling like crazy. It was uh, phenomenal. It was uh, like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, you know, everybody was buying, everybody was selling and it was kind of, it was phenomenal. And that arriving in Guayaquil, and I, I write about it in culture shock. Uh, you know, I first got off that plane in the humidity, uh, you could smell the insecticide in the airport. That was another airport, uh, down the road from the one that's, uh, there now. Yeah. Uh, and it really reminded me of being in a Humphrey Bogart movie. And I kept thinking, uh, you know, when I was down, the, the new port was being built, but the old port was still there, and the uh -huh. Malecon was very, very old at that time. But I remember, uh, you know, it just had a certain sensual gravity to it. Uh, and I said, you know, this is this is me, you know. And uh, and I kept thinking, you know, I'd see Clark Gable and Bogart walking out of a bar <laughs> or stumbling out of a bar with with uh, two women on their arms and uh, their hands in their on their wallets, but uh, <laughs> it's just you know, and the uh, and and Quito is beautiful, but I there's just something about Guayaquil that you know, and it's a place that you will either love or you will hate. There's not a lot of middle road about mm -hmm. Guayaquil. Mm -hmm. uh, Quito, uh, you know, I I love Quito. I love spending time there. Um, I I just never felt quite as comfortable, uh, but uh, in Guayaquil at that time, I think the first place I ever read about it was Lonely Planet. In fact, a fellow that wrote that book uh, back in the early 80s uh, lived full, or did at that time live full-time in Tucson, Arizona, down the road from me. And uh, he went nine months around the country before he ever got to Guayaquil. And uh, that just gives you an idea of for a place that's so small, you, there's just so much to do. You know, when I hear... Uh, expats say that they're bored. I go, my gosh, the, the amount of history around you, the cultural differences, um, I just don't think that there's a, a reason to, to be bored. But uh, but I did business there in Guayaquil and uh, uh, met my first wife, or my only wife, met my wife uh, there and, um, and left and uh, headed down to Peru, down to Quito, or down to uh, uh, Chile, uh, and then back up uh, to the States. And I got to tell you, after I met that beautiful Wayaka princess, my phone bill, my employer looked at that phone bill and said, boy, you must be doing a lot of business in Guayaquil. And I said, you're darn right. And, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, and I continued in that line of work and, uh, Mercedes and I, uh, got married. And uh, that following, I think it was the following uh, May, and uh, uh, moved to uh, Chicago uh, to join me. And uh, uh, I think it was in the 82 range, um, the end of 82, I got laid off from a job and uh, didn't know quite know what I was going to do. But I always had this vision, Jesse, of living in 
uh, Ecuador, especially after I, I got married and I had sold so much and was doing well. And uh, I had visions of being uh, Indiana Jones and owning banana <laughs> plantations and, and uh, sitting in my hammock and uh, all of that. And um, so I wrangled up a few thousand dollars. And, uh, and of course, I uh, thank my mom and dad for that because they wrangled it up for me. <laughs> and I'd had a lot of contacts in the uh, automotive and in industrial sections. And so I was able to secure a certain number of contracts to be a factory rep. And, you know, being a factory rep is a relatively uh, uh, easy uh, business to enter in terms of uh, not needing a ton of capital. I thought to myself, I've got these contracts, I'll go down, uh, in six months I'll be being paid, uh, and I want to tell you, Jesse, it was bad news. We got our money together, we get down to Guayaquil, and wouldn't you know it, one of the worst El Nino periods mm -hmm. on history mm -hmm. was in store, and not only that, in 83, the economic crisis mm -hmm. uh, was just hit me all at the same time. Plus, none of my catalogs, a lot of my uh, sales literature, everything did not arrive. Uh, living uh, with her mother and father in a uh, middle-income um, area uh, outside Guayaquil, um, and uh, Ecuador went to heck. It stopped almost suddenly. Kind of reminded me of the uh, crisis here back in 2008. It almost mm -hmm. was a night and day situation. And uh, we started getting flooded. We lived in a low-level area. I've got all my catalogs piled up to the ceiling. When I finally got those shipped in and uh, uh, had trouble getting anywhere, I, when I'd go to Quito, I'd take the night bus, which we'll talk about that later in safety. <laughs> uh, I got lots and, of experience uh, with that. Right, right. And uh, I learned, I mean, I was a very young guy, though, a lot of energy. Uh, and uh, I, I spent several thousand dollars, uh, Jesse and Darnell, on a uh, small Toyota pickup. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out what am I going to do for money? So I bought this pickup, headed head for my brother-in-law, and uh, who didn't have a job. And at that time, uh, being a pirate taxi, which is also a, a safety issue. Being a pirate taxi was a little more acceptable then uh, than now, and a pirate taxis were mm -hmm. people who didn't have a license to be a taxi sure. and would run around, and I thought, boy, we'll get income from that. Because what happened economically uh, was uh, the government, they were out of money much, uh, much as the situation is today, uh, and uh, they demanded uh, for imports that the suppliers from the U.S., Japan, wherever, by 360-day payment terms. So I'm looking at if I made a sale today, it would be uh, past a year before I'd receive my 5% uh, commission, if that's <laughs> what I had on that particular contract. And so that's why I thought, boy, we'll do the truck and, uh, uh, you know, things really – uh, we'll talk about this too. Really, a stressful situation for everybody involved. 
And, uh, you know, I make light of it now or kind of laugh and chuckle, but it was a very stressful thing. And, um, you know, and I, I give this advice to uh, men or women uh, that fall in love with somebody from another country or uh, from Ecuador and, uh, you know, really uh, counsel them or uh, warn them on the uh, cultural differences and that you really got to be positioned to accepting person. I always say that the person who sees the world black and white uh, is not going to do well in Ecuador, that it's a very gray, uh, you, you, you need to see a lot of shades of gray. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I noticed that about some exports that leave, there, there are people who are very finite about their beliefs and uh, cannot see different colors of uh, different points of view, and uh, it becomes problematic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we were there, I think it was about uh, in the fifth or sixth month, uh, being rained out, not being able to get in and out of town, uh, travel problems. It was a real catastrophe. Uh, <laughs> you know, lots of people uh, died, lots of crops were lost. Oh, wow. Um, and it, it was uh, nowhere near the improvements that have been made uh, um, you know, in today's, uh, Ecuador, uh, it was very tough and I was having, uh, you know, I was working with a, uh, an attorney to get a permanent visa. And I finally woke up one day, Jesse, and said to myself, if I'm going to be poor, it's not going to be in Ecuador. Ecuador <laughs> is not a place to be poor. No. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, I picked my bag with my tail between uh, my legs and um, you know we got on a plane and we came back to Phoenix no idea what we, what we were going to do but I did know that that being poor in Ecuador uh, whether Ecuadorian or uh, an expat is not a great life and especially when you're under uh, tumultuous times uh, that were going on then it was really difficult and I, and I, you know, and that's one of the things that makes me, I think, more sensitive and more open to understanding the obstacles that many of these expats face when they're going down there. And, and some are going to do fantastic. Others are going to have difficulties. But, but I've seen it firsthand. And, um, you know, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, I just, uh, you know, I love the country and I really became a student of it. I am looking here. I'm in my... Uh, office at home and I probably have over 350 books on Ecuador that I've collected over 35 years and uh, uh, spend a great time of reading. I like to, I uh, think I wrote in Culture Shock, uh, I like to look under the street or under the concrete and really see what is in the belly of the beast in terms of the culture. Mm -hmm. I, I spend, when I'm there, I'm interviewing people. Uh, I'm getting to know people. Uh, I uh, have a lot of questions. And that's, I think, really what started when I saw how different the Spanish was in Ecuador that uh, right. prompted, I think, last year where my uh, book, Spanish Slang Ecuador, came out, is that the language uh, it can be very different. And it can be very different from somebody that lives in Guayaquil, an Ecuadorian, and somebody in the Sierra. Yep, it's absolutely. phenomenal the the uh, the language differences and the accents, and that's I think when you 
can really impress an Ecuadorian is when uh, you're talking to him and say, oh, eres de Manabí. And they, oh, you're from Manabí, and they say, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, because of your su acento, <laughs> or certain words that they use. And yeah. those things can change, you know, from block to block almost. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, I love doing that. Uh, say, oh, uh, eres de Quito, ¿cómo sabe Porque su acento or su palabras. It's a fascinating place. And, uh, you know, we, we moved back, and I entered uh, law enforcement, uh, as you mentioned, uh, and did that for 24 years. But every year, uh, whether it was one time, two or three times, uh, we were always back, and we wrestled. And I think many, many of the expats are going through this now that have lost their uh, properties in Bahia, and uh, they've left uh, to, to go back to the States, and they wrestle with that. Uh, you know, do, do we go back? And Mercedes and I, it was a constant. Um, uh, you know, and it ultimately came down, there were a couple things. Was Two, I didn't want to fail again. And, uh, uh, you know, with the education of our, we have three wonderful boys now who are grown men. And um, uh, we knew that we couldn't afford uh, a good, good private education there. And we felt that there were some deficits in the public education, and we just felt that there was better opportunities. So uh, we, we made that choice. But uh, as I, I think uh, before we went live, uh, I don't have much of a retirement uh, nest egg because we spend everything uh, going to Ecuador. And when I started writing, I needed to uh, 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 you know, go, be back on a regular basis to keep up my work and uh, to to keep current and accurate. Mm -hmm. Well, I, so, um, I I I see by how good of a storyteller you are why you're an author. I'm I'm tempted to ask you no more questions and just let you talk, but um, well, but um, I wanted to just um get a sense from you since you probably know I would imagine uh, the majority of the country relatively well. Um, what are some of the like off the beaten path places? Like obviously. Most, uh, lots of expats settle in Cuenca, you know, Vilcabamba is certainly on the map, um, you know, places like Quito and Guayaquil and Montanita and Manta and other places on the coast, um, Otavalo are, are fairly, um, you know, are on, on the, uh, uh, international map as far as places to visit in Ecuador, obviously the Galapagos. What, what are some of the places, and, and that's fine if you choose some off that list, but what are some of the places perhaps off the beaten trail places that, um, you know, really uh, you enjoy visiting in Ecuador? Right. Well, um, I'll, I'll be glad to mention a couple of those. And uh, 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 I always think, it was like Sophia Loren one time said, uh, an interviewer asked her, said, well, we thought that you'd be at all the Hollywood parties and everything. And Sophia said, I am where the party's at. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I always think right below your feet, there in Ecuador, there is some story, there is some aspect, whether it's visiting, uh, you know, in, in Guayaquil, going not just to a regular uh, fruit market or vegetable market where uh, people buy, but Hey, how, and I can't give you the name of the street, but how about going where the fruit distribution is in the center of city and not really known by many outsiders? 
you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, go down there and start to see how stuff uh, uh, operates. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a street in, in Guayaquil. Uh, I love going to um, uh, where all the lagateros, that they call them, the musicians, hang out mm-hmm. on a street. They have offices there, and that's where you go to buy or to uh, find people to rent to, to do serenades at parties. Uh, so my encouragement is to... Uh, always look at where you're at because there's something uh, interesting. Um, you know, in a, uh, you know, in in Guayaquil, the old uh, Las Peñas neighborhood. Which had, have you been there, um, Jesse? Um, I'm not. You know, yeah, I don't. Know. I have. Yeah, Darnell. Darnell's better with names than I am. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I've spent it, a bit of time in Guayaquil. I've never lived there, but um, Las Peñas is like that old part of town. We stayed in a hotel there one time. Oh, with the cobblestones right. yeah, and the hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, it's that's a beautiful like, area. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the oldest neighborhood in Guayaquil. Right. Uh, founded around 1555, and it's very touristy now, and they've done a wonderful job. But many years ago, and this is, you know, why reading so important, Tom Miller wrote a book called The Panama Hat Trail, mm-hmm. which uh, he did a very in-depth study on the Panama hat industry. And he talks about... Uh, Eloy Alfaro has a, had, who was the president of Ecuador, and also really the uh, uh, the effort uh, behind the Panama head industry back in the eighteen uh, hundreds or early nineteen hundreds, and um, uh, the book talks about Eloy Alfaro's grandson still living in that house, mm-hmm. and so. I made a trip up there one day. I told uh, my wife goodbye and, and my family and, and uh, headed up there. And, uh, and it, this is long before it was kind of remodeled and, and made more appropriate, I guess, for tourists. And um, uh, I'm walking up, up those cobblestones, and there's an old man sitting on a stoop. And he said, Senora, como puedo salir today? And he said, Sir, how may I help you? And I said, mm-hmm. Estoy buscando el nieto de Eloy Alfaro. And I'm looking for Eloy Alfaro's grandson. Mm-hmm. And he said, I am. That's me. <laughs> and I said, oh, mucho gusto. I said, I, you know, I uh, really wanted to, to meet you. And he invited me in the house, which at that time was 110 years old, sitting right on the bank of the wire. Right. And you walk in. And it was going back into history. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation for about three hours. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember getting home and uh, uh, my wife making a scene, where, are we, where have you been? Uh, you know, and my family saying, where have you been? And I said, I was with the Eloy Alfaro's grandson. <laughs> <laughs> they, did not, they did not believe me. They didn't believe me at all. And... But then I started, and they were just impressed that, uh, you know, an outsider would search somebody down like that. Mm -hmm. And those type of, he's now passed away, unfortunately. But Mm -hmm. uh, people like that are very accessible in Ecuador and like to talk about the country. And if you want to know, you ask a lot of questions. I I know today I'm doing uh, talking, uh, being interviewed, but I really have tried to learn how to ask questions and how to get people to open up about 
about the country. And it really has, uh, uh, I think, helped me get a, uh, an insight uh, into the country so that I can share it with others so that their learning curve is shorter. But uh, uh, one place that's not real highly known yet, but they're trying to uh, uh, really start to pr promote is Puerto Moro, which is on the way to Salinas from mm -hmm. Guayaquil. And uh, I know when I was there four years ago, my wife grew up near this area and never even told me about it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there's a, a lot of birding going on. Um, and um, I did see a fair number of Europeans, not hundreds, but uh, small groups coming in. But they have, it's about 15 kilometers in from the coast. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have dolphins that are, oh, wow. that, I mean, that's their area. And uh, no touching or feeding or anything, but that I think is a phenomenal that really is not uh, uh, widely known uh, by a, a lot of outsiders. A lot of my inside uh, things are, uh, uh, you know, on the coast or whatever. But one thing, and we're right at the time right now, is uh, the Montubio rodeos, uh, uh, Darnell, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of those, but the Montubios are a group of people, mixed race, uh, that live uh, between the literal uh, and uh, not in almost to the coast, kind of in between, and they're a very unique uh, people. And I learned about the Montubios first from a very well-known historian in Ecuador by the name of Ginny Estrada, who has spent a lot of time with me in the past. And so I got real interested in that culture. And they have rodeos that usually go in October, mm -hmm. November. And um, they have a phrase there that I like. Uh, they'll ask, how was the rodeo? Oh, it was people got killed. or the rodeo wasn't very good. Nobody died. And uh, it, it, it is a phenomenal experience. I first went eight, nine years ago and uh, went out to Salitre outside of uh, Guayaquil, which is really Montuvio land. And it, it, they're, they're, they're a type of cowboy, farmer, a lot of rice uh, agriculture, um, but have their own unique culture. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they, uh, uh, guns are real uh, a part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And it was real interesting when guns were banned in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I went to the second, it was the second time I'd been to the rodeo. They were making fun of the ban. All of these Montubios uh, use cap guns to mm -hmm. fight. <laughs> To fire in the air. I, I thought that was funny. These little cap guns that you buy at a dime store, mm -hmm. and uh, they were kind of protesting, I think, the fact that they couldn't have guns. There's been some changes about that law, but um, mm -hmm. uh, but the, there are a real unique uh, group of people. These rodeos are just a pomp and circumstance, but they are not designed for tourists. Uh, it's, it's a real uh, rustic environment. Uh, and goes on all day, and the the, uh, uh, the horse skills are just phenomenal. And I think I read somewhere that these rodeos have been go going on a good 
400 years or more. Mm -hmm. So it's really a deep part. In October, uh, if you look up Rodeo Montuvio, Octubre, uh, you'll, uh, you know, you'll find some of them going on. But I don't, I haven't seen any tours go to them. I've only been to three of them. And uh, the first one, they let me in the ring so I could take pictures of the bull ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost got killed a couple times, and uh, and they only promised me. They said there's only security up to five o'clock when the dance starts. After five o'clock, there's no security guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, that that uh, Vincis, which is Moonland, um, uh, Salitre, all of that uh, is really phenomenal. A lot of cacao uh, uh, agriculture involved with the Montubios and, of course, rice. and um, But uh, those are just phenomenal places to visit, and um, but uh, not not uh, necessarily tour-friendly in terms of, uh, uh, you know, and they're wild. <laughs> <laughs> I could, could tell you a story, but uh, they're wild. And, uh, you know, that thinking of something interesting culturally, uh, if I may mention, is uh, I, I talk about this in health and security. A lot of, during flu season in Ecuador, you see a lot of flu go around. And there's something culturally uh, bonding uh, that a lot of people do with small parties and uh, Montubio rodeos and uh, whenever you're out. And, um, and that is sharing from the same glass. Uh, mm-hmm. somebody, you may be in a small group of people and a person will uh, pour a small drink and they'll pass it mm-hmm. on and they pass it on to you and then you do it again. And so that, and so I've had to weigh during the years, do I do it or don't? I do it <laughs> here in the United States, but I, I do do it. Uh, we're on the train. Uh, it's like a bonding experience. No? Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I mean, people, people share uh, ice cream experience. cones. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I can almost handle sharing, you know, liquor, but, you know, there's some, an, you know, the, the liquor will kill, you know, uh, germs. But, I mean, people literally lick off of the same ice cream cone. That I find impressive. Right. Is impressive the word you would use for that? that <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I have not done that yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, it depends on who's... It depends on who would ask me to share that. Idea. Right, right. I suppose well, that's probably true I, for most. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would do that with my wife, and and I'd say, hey, it's okay, we're family. <laughs> right. Of but, course. Uh, uh, but I've shared a couple a real, ice cream uh, cones, and there were a couple in there I regretted. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, you know, another. I, I just thought of this. I'll, the first time I learned it, I was over at one of my wife's cousins' house. A lovely woman now in her uh, 80s and was a teacher for 40 years. And we go in, you know, very uh, uh, humble apartment and uh, had some nice uh, silver and and glasses and had her husband go out and get some cold beer and they come in and she fills my glass up and uh, I drink it. I'm not a huge beer drinker, although the beer in Ecuador is uh, Pilsner's phenomenal and uh, drink it. And uh, I noticed uh, every time I finished the drink, uh, it would be filled back up mm-hmm. automatically. Mm-hmm. It would just uh, come and fill it back up. And but before I knew it, uh, 
five, six glasses of beer down the road, uh, I'm in almost, you know, not quite intoxicated, but getting close. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I said, I, I don't want any more, <laughs> you know, no quiero más. Good luck. And Good luck what with I that. Learned the trick was, right, right. No, uh, what I learned was, uh, uh, if you don't want another drink of, uh, liquor or, uh, water, whatever it is in the glass, don't drink the entire glass. <laughs> right. Leave a little bit of glass on in, in the uh, glass mm -hmm. and then they won't serve you anymore. So, um, uh, that's just fascinating cultural things. Those, those things just fascinate me. And I love it when, uh, I hear from expats and they say, Hey, we saw this or, you know, we learned that. And, um, uh, you know, I hear expats, um, uh, talking now about not arriving at a party on time. And so I look back and I see, Oh, I wrote that in 2000 and 2000 and, uh, how, how things rumors start. And I think I first, uh, you know, none of that was really in English press anywhere. Uh, when I wrote about toilet paper, which uh, I've seen huge threads, not threads of toilet paper, but <laughs> huge threads of uh, uh, on the topic about uh, whether to flush or whether not to flush <laughs> right. the receptacle. I read about an expat the other day. She said, I came back to the States. I was looking for the let me just um for people who don't know so, so ecuador uh nobody flushes toilet paper the toilet paper goes in a trash can that's kept next to the toilet um it's not flushed so that's what that's what nicholas is referring to right uh, well, the exception might be a very high-end uh, some homes and uh and you, you might um explain jesse why that is why where that habit goes. Yeah, you know, I mean, I never looked into it too deeply. What I, my understanding, basically, oh. I think it has to do with the way they deal with, with the septic. So, um, my understanding that, is you're that. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah, but, but if you want to fill that in, go right ahead. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the exceptions being, um, uh, you know, maybe a high-end hotel or restaurant. Sure, sure. And maybe. Some of the newer developments, there's so much new development going on, uh, um, but I've never seen what is not a, you know, a plastic or metal uh, can available uh, uh, to do that. And uh, and there's a lot of toilet paper set in Ecuador. That <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but I, I missed. Uh, you said there's a lot of toilet paper. What? Yeah. Uh, toilet paper theft. No, I have not come across yeah. that in my time yeah. in Ecuador. Sometimes, you know, yeah, yeah, there's a, I, I don't know why that is, I guess, but uh, it seems like whenever I need it, uh, it's not available. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, you know, and I, one thing I always recommend is people when they're traveling or doing tours or whatever, uh, and uh, are taking wipes with you, uh, <laughs> because a lot, there are, many places where toilet paper is not available and i know we're on a lovely topic now but <laughs> well well you're 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 speaking of a topic near and dear to my heart because <laughs> i've been made right. fun of for many years for my package of baby wipes that uh seems to make its way into my work bag or you know wherever i happen to be <laughs> right no you're absolutely right and it also is good you know to um uh you know, for 
for cleanliness just uh, with your hands during the day, especially if you're out on the road, wherever you're at. Um, you know, the flu, we, we follow the, the flu season uh, quite a bit. Uh, seems to go in, in different spurts of the, of the year. But uh, I'll tell you what, it really hits hard. And uh, I don't think that the flu shot is as popular there as it might be. And, I, you know, I'm going to hear some grief about this, the, the people that don't believe in flu shots. But, uh, 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 and I, but it, it, the flu is people really get sick very easily mm-hmm. uh, there. Uh, during flu season, so. yeah, gripe. I've noticed uh-huh. a lot of people do 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 have. <laughs> I get like a cold often, um, for sure. Hey, um, some 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 of that stuff uh, is a nice transition in in the security. Um, and uh, you know we don't have a lot of time remaining, but um, what uh, what, what talk? You know, I know you've uh, this is a, this is a topic that is of interest to you. It's something you've uh, written about, thought about, um, given advice about. What what uh. What would you say um, about security overall? And and I, I guess I'd preface that question a little bit by saying, it, like some of the other things you were talking about, it is so incredibly regional. Um, you know, some places are are you know incredibly safe, and some places are a little bit dangerous. Um, and that is just so divided by where you are in the country. But what are sort of some of your tips or advice or warnings um, for for expats um, considering? Uh, either living here already or considering living here as far as security. Right, right. Well, again, I come from a, uh, you know, quite a few decades in law enforcement and had, fortunately, had some great training. And, um, and do I, you know, it's a topic I'm always studying and uh, trying to think what, what can I do to help someone be safer or uh, evade a threat or be aware of threats. And I was, you know, um, always hear somebody say, well, this happens in Chicago or, uh, and they might be right, but crime still is different. Uh, you need, when you're moving to a country, you know, and you're doing all of this research, you really need to look at, uh, uh, the whole belly whip, uh, so to speak of, uh, you know, what, what crimes about, um, how it, the modalities, um, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I don't ever look at an area of being safer than another. I, I have worked at training myself to always think uh, that the threat is always possible. And, you know, an example just happened last weekend, not in Ecuador, uh, but in Mexico. An expat of 15 years came back from Canada uh, and um, uh, took a cab from Cancun to Merida. And uh, ends up strangled, mm-hmm. and was a I guess a huge proponent about you know, uh, and I get some I do get criticized uh, about crime or putting stories up about crime, uh, uh, but she was you know did not she felt it was completely safe. She said Mexico is safe, and uh, nothing's you know, and uh, you know unfortunately she uh, passed away. But I always assume that there's a threat there, just as you're getting in the car. You, 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 you may not be involved in a traffic accident, but if you are, that seatbelt is there to uh, protect you mm-hmm. uh, in, in the event. 
And there's many, many expats that will never be a victim of a crime for whatever reason. And, you know, we'll see in certain areas, uh, there may be upticks, you know, this past year we've seen um, uh, uptick uh, in crimes against expats. But I work a lot on trying to teach situ situational awareness and learning how to do that. And it's something that has to be practiced, and it's fairly simple. And uh, it's what I use uh, when I'm out. Uh, but, uh, you know, being aware, studying, uh, knowing what kind of crimes are going on, um, you know, people for a long time have always thought Quito was safer than Guayaquil, uh, but preparing for this show, I just felt, saw a story that I put up a couple years ago about a uh, kidnapped express uh, in Quito, and uh, it, it does go on. Um, uh, but, you know, the situational awareness, the studying, being aware that you stand out, you mm -hmm. cannot blend in. and um, there are going to be certain criminals that target uh, foreigners. Um, it, it's just the way that it is. It, you will always be viewed as having money and of being a target, and uh, you need to be you, you just need to be aware of that. Um, and so, uh, one of the things I'm very uh, proud of, uh, Jesse. Uh, that uh, I started three years ago, Jesse uh, Darnell uh, started three years ago. I was up Sunday morning um, monitoring Facebook, and I see a man come on and saying, please help. Uh, I'm in Bahia. My family, we just had a uh, home invasion, mm -hmm. and uh, my wife's been hit and uh, over the head, and uh, uh, he... Uh, and could you please come and help us? So I'm, I'm watching it. I didn't know the fellow, and I'm uh, watching it, and I see, you know, three or four friends of his see it on Facebook, and, and they go over and they help him, and fortunately they were okay. Um, it was a real difficult situation for them, and uh, they'd had a hard time. They were up uh, in uh, outside of uh, Bahia, um, and um, uh, but a light went off in my head saying, um, you know, why don't we do a group like this for emergency information, uh, sharing information on uh, health security uh, and crime. And um, so that was how Ecuador Emergency on Facebook was born. And, um, you know, uh, we're there. I think we have 2,400 members, but we're sharing information all the time. I have a couple other admins that uh, assist me, and um, we did help find a, uh, a supposedly a missing expat couple. I think they were going from Cuenca to Loja or Vilcabamba. It might have been Loja, and the family was on the internet posting, "We can't find them," and they contacted the state department and couldn't get through or whatever. And so I got the information who they were, where they were headed. So we put it up on Ecuador Emergency. There was a, a member of the group uh, that lived not far from there, went down to the hotel that they were supposed to be at and found them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just had had no Internet contact or anything. So, you know, we try to do those things to, to help in any way that we can. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we were quite involved in the earthquake 
uh, with uh, maintaining a list of missing expats, uh, no matter where you were from. And um, uh, you know, it was a it was a, a phenomenal effort uh, by our uh, by our group. But uh, uh, but crime to me, while it may be the same in what a criminal's after, um, it is it is different. And you need to be aware of the modalities. Um, yeah. And I, um, you know, especially want to say this: there uh, was just uh, Equavisa just had a story about uh, uh, escopamine attacks. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, what they're doing in in thirty a month—that's a lot of people in Guayaquil, and, right? Uh, in Guayaquil, right? Mm -hmm. But it's used all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and. Uh, Although I've never seen some people say they blow it in your face, but my question to that has always been: if they blow it in your face, don't they get some of it? You know, uh, I, I can't imagine um, um, you know blowing that. If I was going to administer it to somebody, it would be through another method. Um, and uh, but it is the date rape drugs are are good. I I recommend to all women uh, and even men do not travel alone. Um, we're seeing an uptick in uh, sex exploitation on Facebook uh, with victims in Ecuador, uh, usually married men. And um, do we have time to talk about that? Or uh, sure, if you want, if you okay? want very briefly, yeah. sure. Right, uh, I do talk uh, about uh, the internet and being involved with Facebook, uh, and I recommend to everybody to be very cautious about what they, uh, of course, put up on there. Uh, you know, I typically will see an, uh, an expat very proud of their new home, and uh, they put pictures up and everything, uh, and are very proud of it. And uh, I always recommend, you know, not to give out too much information about where you live or the layout of your home, because when there are groups as big as 10, 11,000 for Ecuador, uh, for expats, uh, I can assure you there's some percentage of people on there that are criminals sure. and they're on there looking for, for a target and, uh, the sexploitation, although I've not heard about it yet with a, uh, uh with an expat has been where a, uh, woman friends, a man on Facebook in Ecuador. And, uh, she, uh, becomes, uh, you know, starts a friendship, then becomes nude, and then ask him to become nude and to perform some acts. And, and the, the whole time this is going on, they uh, photo or are filming this mm -hmm. on the Internet. She then comes back and says, if you don't give me X amount of money, mm -hmm. I'm going to put this up on YouTube or wherever she's going to put it up. And there have been a fair number of victims uh, in you know, they're usually uh, married men. Some have been single. Um, and I believe that it's uh, coming out of, uh, I have to look at my notes somewhere. I, I think Africa is, it seems to me, where that's coming. But there have been those kind of groups operate out of prisons in uh, in Ecuador and, and uh, other parts of Latin America. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, one thing about safety and security is, uh, I would never, under any circumstances, uh, unless you're absolutely at death's doorstep, uh, get involved in a physical altercation 
or do anything that might put you into custody. Uh, it is not a, the, the criminal justice system uh, is not a pleasant situation for most people, and uh, being incarcerated is very difficult. And we see every, you know, maybe once or twice a year, we'll see some American um, or Canadian uh, get arrested, and uh, it is a nightmare. Uh, it is a completely different justice system than what you might be uh, acquainted to uh, in your home country. But uh, when I'm there, I, I, I just want to love everybody and be nice to everybody and, and keep from being robbed and uh, uh, or, you know, hurt in any way and healthy and not falling down and, uh, you know, not to ruin the experience. But uh, I have been uh, ripped off one time. In 35 years. Mm-hmm. I may, may I share that with you? Sure. You, you know, um, yeah. Nicholas. Um, one thing that I I know that we're kind of running short on time, and I hate to cut you off. The one thing that I right. really wanted to hear from you about in a little bit more depth is the uh, regionalism. I think that would really give uh, some people who are thinking about coming to Ecuador have been in Ecuador before and are kind of in the consideration phase a little bit more color and a little bit more depth about what it's like living here. Could you touch on that a little bit? Right. Um, the regionalism um, also involves uh, the class breakdown and whatever, but, uh, you know, you have uh, uh, really three areas. Uh, you have the coast, you have the Sierra, and then you have uh, uh, the jungle uh, area, uh, and uh, really our uh, unique cultures um, into themselves. And uh, they look at money differently. Uh, they call each other names. Um, they uh, don't like each other generally. Um, and, uh, you know, I... Uh, you know, I knew a uh, businessman that had an office in Quito, and he he had been, he was from the coast. He's American, but lived on the coast, and he hired a uh, Manaba in uh, down from Manabi to come up and work in his office, just so he kind of had an inside track as to what was going on. But um, you know, they're just just kind of different viewpoints. And I'm trying to find here real quick in one of my books how they how they view each other because uh, I, I don't have them memorized. But, uh, um, you know, there are things from being, you know, the Serranos look at the, uh, the people from the Sierra, uh, look at the people from uh, why those people spend their last cent um, and their party animals. And the, uh, the coastal people look at the people from the Sierra as being uh, stingy, uh, crybabies. And um, uh, so I'm trying to remain politically correct here and not use any names. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, trying to find that in, the, uh, uh, in my old culture shock book um, on how they, uh, uh, you know, relate to each other. Um, but, uh, you know, in the... Also, you know, racism is a a huge issue in Ecuador, Uh, stereotyping. You know, I often hear people tell me, well, Nick, you're stereotyping. And I say, absolutely, I'm stereotyping. I'm generalizing 
either what I've read or my experience, it doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions. Um, uh, but uh, uh, the racism can be a huge issue for uh, for some in the culture, uh, although there has been great, I would say, great improvement over the, uh, the last decade or so. Uh, but um, uh, but the, the regionalism also is not only the culture, but uh, geographically, you know, um, and it's just magnificent when you drive from the coast, for example, to Cuenca, and you get to that one area where you start up into the mountains, into the Cajas, Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just such a, a divide. And the people that we, um, I can't find that in the book right now. I might, if, uh, if we could go on to something else, I might find it here and be able to come back real quick. Well, um, Do, would you like to hear about the time I got ripped off? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Nicholas. Okay, I'll, I'll make it quick. Well, uh, I've done a lot of book interviews in the past. Uh, I don't have them online right now on authors that have written about it. And I did one on uh, author wrote about the Salasaka Indians, uh, which up are in the, uh, between Banos and, um, um, Zambato. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and talking about, he did a lot of work on witchcraft and Ecuadorians. Again, this is a stereotype, but, uh, generally, uh, superstition can run very deep in the culture, which is also partly from Catholicism. But um, I did this long interview, uh, witchcraft and everything, and uh, uh, Mercedes and I are up in Banos a few years ago. And we're, we took the bus from Guayaquil uh, up to Banos. We're having a wonderful time. We're on our way back. The bus wasn't too full. She sat on one side, I sat on the other side, and she's taking pictures. And we stopped one time, and uh, we put, uh, I put her camera underneath the newspaper. And I got up, and I helped a, 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 an elderly indigenous woman get up the steps of the bus. And she sits behind me with another woman. And I sit down, and I lift my paper up, and my camera is gone. And it wasn't just my camera. It was my wife's camera that I'd given to her. She had over 2,000 pictures on it, and I was livid with myself. You know, here I am, this macho law enforcement guy, and, you know, some, somebody steals my camera. And, but I thought quick on my feet, and I had done that interview and knew that they were very superstitious. The group, we were in Salasaka, and uh, the group of people, they were very suspicious. And I said something to the co-pilot on the bus. And he just said, you should watch your stuff more. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he gave me no sympathy. And um, I finally got mad. And I stood up in the bus. I'm, I'm six foot. Uh, and quite muscular. I'm kidding about that. <laughs> I stand up on the bus, uh, six foot, and in my, the best Spanish I could muster, I told everybody, I said, None of you know me, and none of you care. But somebody has stolen. Alguien robó el camera. Somebody stole the camera of my wife, one of your sisters, a sister Ecuadorian. And I'm telling you right now, I am a white witch. 
No soy un brujo blanco. I was a white witch. And my wife is shuddering. What are you doing, Nick? I said, yo soy un brujo blanco. If somebody opens up that camera and looks at a picture of my grandson or my wife or my family, I assure you, porque yo soy un brujo blanco, que algo va a pasar. Something's going to happen to this bus. And the people are shaking. And then Mercedes tells me to sit down. <laughs> and before I knew it, the co-pilot goes back to the seat uh, where the, the old woman was and whispers to her. And then he's looking around and reaches between the seat and says, oh, senor, is this your camera? And there was a camera. <laughs> and Mercedes said... Mercedes said to me, he said, how did you think about that? Think to do that? And I said, I'm, yo no soy gringo. Que piensa que soy gringo. I told her I'm not a gringo. <laughs> but, I, but it was a wonderful, uh, you know, experience and one I'll always remember. But, uh, you know, thinking quick on your feet, and I was probably not, you know, they could have killed me for all I know. But I told them, you know, something's going to happen to this uh, bus. And, uh, um, uh, and I, I, I'd like to if I may, and I won't tell any stories here, uh, two things that people really need to learn about Ecuador, and they are, they're in my uh, 100 points book. And it took me years to understand this. And um, if we ever have a chance to be together again, we can go into depth about it. But that's Viveza Criolla, Viveza Criolla, and Palanca. And if an, an expat Canadian, American, European should get a grasp of that, they will really have a, a good understanding on how to operate uh, within Ecuador and to understand how uh, Ecuadorians behave. Or they could just buy your book, right? Yes, of course. I, <laughs> yes. Or they can write me and I'll tell them. Or, uh, you know, the Viveza Criolla is really... I couldn't believe that when, and, and many Ecuadorians don't even know what it is. And it's right, in, it's right on the chip, so to speak, as a friend of mine says, but it's a very important part of the culture. Yeah. Great. Well, I think, um, Nicholas, I think we'll leave it there. Um, okay. First, I want to just thank you for joining us. Um, super informative. Um, and I hope that uh, in the future you may be able to join us again so we can get into uh, some of the things uh, in more depth that we kind of just um, scratched the surface of. Uh, before I wrap up, I just want to give you the opportunity to, um, to plug your website and anything else you'd like to plug. Well, thank you, Darnell. Um, uh, seven years ago, I founded LatinAmericaCurrentEvents.com. And um, that was a, uh, a news aggregator where I sometimes have interns also working with me, but we follow news and events uh, around Latin America and uh, post links up uh, to those stories. Um, and uh, have a tremendous category, of course, on Ecuador. I think it's at 15,000 articles or posts at this time, and there's a search function there. Um, and uh, anyone uh, thinking of moving to Ecuador or that already lives there, uh, you are more than welcome to uh, join Ecuador Emergency. So just type that in in Facebook. 
and uh, it's a non-commercial endeavor. Uh, uh, the, uh, myself and the other uh, admins spend a lot of time monitoring things to, to try to help. Um, again, the, the book uh, about living in Ecuador is 100 points to consider before moving or retiring in Ecuador, available on Amazon, Kindle. If you don't have a, a Kindle book, which I highly recommend, it's really been a godsend to me once I started using it. Um, they do have apps. Uh, there's also another book uh, was partly derived from that book called Expat Interviews Ecuador. Uh, it has uh, the same interviews in the 100 Points book, but then a, a number, I added a number of other interviews. And then if your Spanish is getting good, uh, I recommend Spanish Slang Ecuador, and uh, that will really impress uh, your Ecuadorian friends. Um, and then I just recently released a book called Spanish Vocabulary, Intermediate Advanced Level, which uh, uh, took many years to develop, but it's really intermediate and advanced vocabulary for anyone who's usually college-educated in the Spanish language. And, but, uh, uh, Nicholas, where can, but, uh, where can our listeners find your books? They're on Amazon. Right now, they're, they're just available on Amazon. There still are uh, copies. Uh, which I, I don't receive any royalties for any longer. But if they want to buy the old Culture Shock Ecuador, I see those for sale all the time from a couple dollars a book, uh, you know, to five dollars. Uh, they're sold through third parties. I have no connection with it. But 2009 was the last edition. And there's still a lot of, uh, while it's dated, uh, you'll get, uh, you know, some valuable cultural information in there. Awesome. That's great. Well, uh, Nicholas, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. Well, thank you, Jesse and Darnell. Um, anytime I can help, uh, please contact me. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your, um, your perspective, Nicholas. We appreciate it. Take care, man. You're welcome. So I guess we'll wrap up with just the, uh, the business. Um, yeah, we should be back next week. To, uh, please excuse us for the hiatus. Uh, again, uh, if you want to um, reach us about our upcoming real estate tour uh, or any properties uh, that you uh, would like to, that you've seen on our website or want to contact us about um, buyer agent services, you can reach us in our office toll free at 888-999-0948 on our website at www.abequador.com or via email at info at abequador.com. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to talking to you guys again next week.